The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, so the practices that are going to be helpful to you, um, you're going to are going to be a little bit different than the practices that are helpful to someone when they have pain. But, uh, but it's good to have them as part of your toolbox. So if you find yourself, all, you know, one day you're having a lot of pain, then you can apply them. But that's the idea with a lot of these meditations, you know. And, and I'll, I'll go into that a little bit more at the end, because uh, it'll make a little more sense as we, we add the, the last two pieces here. So, um, okay, good. So, so the first thing, anything else from last week before I, uh, before I go on? Okay. Um, you know, formal meditation practice is one part of a broader context uh, in training the mind. So, you know, we meditate for a certain period of time, but what we do with our minds the rest of the day really matters. And um, so the context that I want to talk about in, in Buddhist practice, we call that right view. And what right view or wise view is in a very simple way, is that any time you want things to be different than they are, you're going to suffer. So, um, so the core of, of the practice is noticing when things aren't the way we want them and we can't do anything about them, to relax. Because if things aren't the way you want them, by, by getting uptight about it only adds more suffering. Right, so that attitude is an attitude that needs to be brought into all our daily habits. Often, when we have chronic pain, the attitude is, let's say, you know, you're, you're you know, you're, you're going about your day. You go pick something up, and there's the pain again. What is your attitude when that pain arises? At that moment when it arises, are you just watching it saying, "Oh, pain arose again. That's interesting," and and um, and are curious about it, interested in it, or are you saying it shouldn't be there, and you tense up, and you frown, and you, you know, what do you do with yourself when what you don't like happens? And those little habits of, that you might spend during the day, like, uh, let's say you get a phone call you don't like, you know, and then all, you know, you're frowning, you know, you're, you're at opposition, you're in conflict with reality. Reality, sometimes you get what you want, sometimes you don't get what you want. Um, and when we're not aware of how much or, or wanting the pain to not be there adds a lot more pain to us. So it doesn't mean that we don't do everything we can to uh, help improve our conditions. You know, for instance, if you're sitting in a horrible position, sure, sit in a better position. But when we can't do anything to add resistance and fighting against it uh, makes us actually tense up and it increases, you know, um, you know, one of the things that really increases pain is stress. I, th I think you've all heard that, right? What stress does is it raises the hormones in your body that actually make you feel your pain hurt more. They, it actually, any pain, if you're stressed, hurts more just because of the hormones that are circulating in your body. So when something happens that we don't like, it's our attitude that makes it stressful or not. Like for instance, um, you know, I remember um, I was 
you know, my husband and I were flying to India, you know, and when we were very young, you know, and um, we got to New York, and they lost my luggage with the addresses of where we were supposed to stay and all my contact info. And it's on Christmas Eve, you know, and we were broke at that time, you know, and, and, you know, my, you know, and, oh, I, it's gone, you know, which, you know, and then we just had a great adventure. It was fun, you know, because we just adapted to the situation. We slept at the airport and we had a good time. <laughs> and, um, you know, so a lot of it is, you know, and, but I, I could have had the same situation and been really upset with, you know, with myself. Oh, why didn't I keep those numbers in my purse? Why didn't I, you know, and, and done a whole story in my head that I would have made the same, the same things would have happened, but my experience would have gone from being having fun, a fun adventure to, um, you know, being really unhappy. And so in the same way, you know, when pain is present, how are you relating to it? You know, at any given point, what's your relationship to it? Are you being kind and generous to yourself? Are you being compassionate to yourself? Or are you contracting and um, getting, you know, getting tense against it? Um, so, you know, are we telling stories? And this is the really important thing about our pain. Like, for instance, um, uh, one of the things that I had to deal with is that I actually I felt ashamed that I had pain. I felt the fact that I had pain meant that there was something flawed about me. There was something really deeply wrong in me. Um, that, that was a personal failing. And that added a huge layer to my suffering around it. Uh, I mean, I, I actually, it was so, um, so shameful to me that not a single one of my friends knew I had pain, constant pain, uh, because I thought it was, you know, it showed weakness, you know, you don't show weakness, you know, and um, so what are the stories we tell ourselves? These stories ha are a huge part of the complex of how we work with pain. Some people say nothing good ever happens to me, or I have pain, I have bad karma, you know, um, you know, my life is ruined if I can't do so-and-so. You know, like I had to give up running, which was like a huge piece of my life, you know, I, that I was really attached to. And, you know, there, there's, a sen there's an experience of loss. You know, if we lose an ability, you know, that, that we valued a lot in our lives, it's a natural human reaction to grieve that loss. Yeah, can't do that anymore. Which most of us, as we age, find something we have to give up as we get older, Right. And, uh, but, you know, sometimes we have to get, get, give up things when we're a lot younger than, than we expect. And that is a loss. Um, but in my mind, one of the things that I had to deal with was that I felt that I can't be happy unless I can run. I can't be happy unless I'm out of pain. And that was a huge piece for me that actually when I um, actually looked at that belief that I can't be happy unless I'm out of pain, that transformed my life. Because once I realized that that's just a belief, that I could actually be very happy with pain. And I actually had proof over and over and over again that there are many moments of happiness, even though I had pain. And eventually, I was able to drop that belief. So when the pain arises, it doesn't color my whole world. It doesn't define my world anymore. 
So, you know, when I'm, at, I'm bringing up some of these examples because, you know, most people who have chronic pain have stories about it, have ideas about it. And they don't meet it as something new that this is their experience, but they have these different ideas about it. Um, such as, has anybody thought this is never going to end? This is just going to get worse. Uh, I can't bear this. Anybody have, I can't bear this? You know, and yet you're here, right? <laughs> you bore it, right? You know, and, and I'm not making light of the fact that, it, that when you feel that way, it's very painful. But that thought, I can't bear this, actually sets you in conflict with yourself, with what's really going on in the moment. So one of the things that we're going to be looking at in mindfulness of our thoughts is really becoming aware of how our thoughts um, keep us in a state of conflict. Um, we believe our thoughts. And our thoughts are not real. They're just thoughts. They're not reality. Um, I mean, how many of you have had a lot of pain and then you get into a conversation you're laughing? Right? You're having a great, you know, a, a really good conversation or something. You know, that comes up, you know. Or memory and something, you know, you feel a feeling of love. Or, uh, so, so what we're looking at is really recognizing that our thoughts are not reality. They're just thoughts. They're not things. They're not who we are. They're not this. Um, they're not facts. You know, I can't stand this. It's not true. You know. Um, so, um, you know, I'm going to... I don't think I mentioned this last time. There's a little Cherokee story. A lot of you, I'm sure, have heard this. Um, but it's a grandfather is talking to his young grandson... And, um, you know, he tells the boy, I have, I have two wolves inside my heart, and they're struggling with each other. The first wolf is the uh, wolf of peace and love and kindness. The second wolf is the wolf of fear and greed and hatred. And, you know, the grandson, you know, thinks about it, and he says, well, you know, grandfather, which wolf is going to win? And the grandfather says, uh, whichever one I feed. And so, so this is what we're referring to. You know, so if a thought comes into your mind uh, and, you, and you notice, we start paying attention to these thoughts and we notice that we're thinking, um, oh, you know, um, I'm going to really start paying attention when I feel better. You know, I'll meditate when I feel better. You know, so that's a very common one. I used to not like to meditate when I, when I really had a lot of pain. I, I, I'd say, well, I'll feel better later. I'll meditate then. Right, so, so when thought comes into the mind like that, you know, do we feed it or do we let it go? You know, it's just a thought, just a thought. Let it go. Um, so we do two things with our th- with our thoughts. We either let them go. We can let go of unhelpful thoughts, or we can cultivate helpful thoughts. And that's basically what our focus is going to be today. So with mindfulness of thinking, we're going to look at our thoughts and see them for what they are, which is thoughts. And when you see a thought for just what it is, it can just come up and go away, come up and go away. That's what thoughts do. We're constantly thinking. Um, they say that um, 95% of the thoughts we had today, we had yesterday. So we th- we we're so hooked on our thinking, but, but we have all these amazing amount of, of thoughts that just go on and on and on, and they have patterns. And so what we're doing with mindfulness of thinking is, is uh, breaking the patterns. 
just stopping the thought instead of just continuing. I don't mean to stop the thought. We're letting them go the wrong way. We're just not identifying with them as being who we are and that they're real. Um, in mindfulness meditation, we accept whatever shows up in the mind. So if you have a thought that, um, uh, you know, my life is terrible, you know, that's okay if you have that thought. It doesn't matter, you know, you just, as long as you don't keep adding to it, as long as you don't tell a story about it, my life is terrible, and yeah, you know, I had this terrible childhood, and and ta da 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 and you go on and feed it. You know, yep, life is, oh, thought, let it go. And that's the basic practice that we do, you know, and when we see a thought that might be helpful, uh, such as a thought that says, oh, I just spaced out, let me go back to the breath, that's a helpful thought. Thoughts are very helpful. I mean, thoughts are a very important part of our lives. We just want to use them well. We just want to use them in a way that, that helps us instead of a way that gets us caught in, in, in increasing suffering. Um, Um, so the, the, me- the meditation we're going to do now is um, uh, mindfulness of thinking. You know? And I just want to make sure before I say anything, uh, before I go on with this, is um, I just want to make sure that you don't feel any need to suppress any thought that arises. That if you see a really unhelpful pattern in your mind, that you don't try to push it away. That you don't try to uh, resist the fact that it's there. You know, that the way that mindfulness of thinking works is by bringing light to it. We don't have to, you know, it's like turning a light in a room. You know, you see what's there, and then you see, oh, look at that, that thought isn't, isn't doing much good here. But you don't have to push it away, you don't have to do anything. Just by understanding it, it frees itself. And don't worry, if it, you know, we've got some patterns for 30, 40 years sometimes, the same pa- uh, not helpful pattern. That's okay. Every time we become aware of it, every time uh, it loses a little bit of its grip on us. So we don't want to suppress any thinking. We don't want to suppress any emotions. We want to let whatever shows up belongs, and we want to be nice to it and let it go in its own way. Nothing stays. Every thought... Psh- there it goes. You know, it's not going to stay. So, so it's okay if it's there. Um, so we're going to look at three aspects of thinking. Okay? The first one is internal dialogue. Okay? We all have internal dialogue, either um, words, when we, when we meditate, either words, complete phrases. Uh, sometimes we have dialogue. I don't know if any of you talk to yourself. You know, um, I, you know that's, that's very common in my mind you know, to talk to myself sometimes. And, um, but people have different, you know, or, or you get fragments of sentences. You know, so that's, um, I'm, we're going to label that thinking. Okay? Um, the other type of thoughts we have are what are called images. And how many of you get a lot of images in your mind? So, yeah, some people are prone to more images than others, you know. And so, when you have a thought, it might be words, we call it thinking, or it might be um, an image, and we'll call that seeing. Okay, so when we look at a thinking mind, you know, those are the main things that show up, right? Words and images. Underneath that, as the mind gets a little bit quieter, there's what we call a preconscious area, and where the where it's kind of the subtle part of the mind where your thoughts have kind of sort of stopped, but you can feel something going on there. 
You know, that's the subtle processing that's continuously going on in the mind. Your mind is continuously thinking whether you know, you know, whether you're doing anything or not, whether you're hearing words or not. It's still processing. Um, for instance, it's processing how you feel right now. Am I hot? Am I cold? Um, you know, how do I feel about being hot or cold? All that's going on underneath. You know, underneath, you you have no idea it's going on, right? So that's the subtle processing. Also, in that area is where your creativity arises, your intuition your insights, uh, but also all your habitual patterns are happening in there. You know, all the habitual, um, uh, you know, thinking processes. And from there, your thoughts arise. And so when we pay attention to the mind, you know, it's easy to hear the words, you know, and to see the images. But when you kind of just feel that vagueness, you know, where you know you're thinking, but you don't know what you're thinking about, you know, you don't know what the content is, but you can feel the thinking. In that area, you know, we notice how it feels. You, it might feel like it's very calm. It might feel like it's, uh, there's movement going on. So we're going to work with labeling three things, right? We're going to label thinking. Well, four things, one, one more. Thinking, images, and when you feel that, that if you get, you know, we're going to do short meditation, so you may not get to that point, but if you don't have thoughts coming up, notice how your mind feels. Does this feel like movement? Does it feel like calm? You know, so notice the quality. And, um, and I'm asking you to label. You don't have to label. But if you don't label, sometimes you just get lost. So if you're new to this, it's really helpful to label that. And then the fourth thing I'm going to ask you to label, it's, it's actually part of the thinking, is to really recognize if what's coming up is judgment. I think that's a very important label to, to have very handy in your mind. Because if you're, you know, if you're sitting there thinking and you know, your mind says... Oh, I'm just, I'm bored, you know, and um, you know, and um, you know, I'm no good at this. I'm just no good at meditation, you know. Judgment, you know, when you when you notice that you're judging, it can be very, very helpful because you're saying, oh, that's just a judgment. It's not the truth. So thinking, if it if it works easily for you, use judgment or image, you know, which is see, uh, seeing. Or if you find the subtle processing, then you just um, you know describe how that feels. Use a label of how it feels to you. Um, you know, I, it can be thought of the the preconscious area. It can be thought of like a lake with moving currents. That's one image that that might work. Um, you know, for me, I sort of see it as as this little like simmering water you know, and in a pot, and I see the little bubbles popping up, and sometimes the bubbles pop up and they become a thought. You know, that's, that's how my mind sees it. Um, so any questions before we start? Okay. So get into a comfortable position, and we're going to do about a 15-minute meditation. Close your eyes and sit upright but relaxed or, or lay down comfortably, either way. 
Take a couple of deep breaths. And then let the breath return to normal. And let your attention settle on the sensations of breathing. Wherever it's easiest and most relaxing for you to feel it. Just keep your attention on your home base, on your anchor. Now turn your attention to the thinking process itself and keep it there for the rest of the meditation. Watch the mind like a cat watching a mouse, ready for whenever it's going to move. If a thought arises, notice if it's words or phrases. And if it is, label it thinking. If it's an image, label it seeing. Even if it can be clear or it can be vague, you can still label it seeing. If both are present, feel free to label it thinking and seeing or just choose one, it doesn't matter.
if thoughts are judgmental in any way, you can label them judgment. If you lose your focus, you can always return to the breath for a few breaths and then come back to being mindful of your thoughts. As the mind quiets, the grosser thoughts may come down or even go away. But you may still feel a non-specific movement in the mind. The thoughts are not clear, yet you know you're thinking. But there's no words or images. This is the pre-conscious area from which our thoughts arise. If it's helpful, label this process by how you experience it. Maybe calm or movement. You may go back and forth from this subtle processing 
to dialogue and images. It doesn't matter. In this short period, you, you may not even notice any subtle processing. Whatever ma- what matters is that you notice your thoughts in whatever form they take. If you get carried away by your thoughts, just start over. Notice your thoughts, thinking, seeing. If the mind drifts, notice it and gently, non-judgmentally bring it back to paying attention to your thoughts. And if you're judgmental, maybe you think I blew it again, just notice judgment.
And for these last two minutes, bring your attention back to the breath. So were you able to watch your thoughts, to notice your thoughts? Some of the time. <laughs> yes. Microphone, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, uh, how does the physical pain integrate with that exercise? No, just, he'll turn it up, just closer to your mouth. Okay, there. Uh, the physical pain, how does that manifest? In, I mean, how does that dealt with in this meditation? Because for me personally, I went to feeling pain, to thoughts about pain, to sometimes judgment. Yeah. Um, but what do we do with the the physical pain in this exercise? Um, in this exercise, you, just, you let it be. You let the physical pain be. You're focusing on the thoughts themselves. Okay? It, this is not necessarily the way you're going to practice as a whole. It's a skill you're developing. Uh, so in a different pra- in, if we were integrating the practice, 
okay? Uh, you would be feeling the physical pain, and then you'd notice, well, is the pain the most prevalent, or is my hatred of the pain the most prevalent, or are my thoughts about the pain the most prevalent? That's what we eventually do. Um, but because it's so hard, I, my, I, in my opinion, mindfulness of thinking is the hardest because that's where I get lost the quickest. I don't know if, if I, that's a lot of people's experience. You know, it's, it's a lot easier to notice the physical. That's a lot grosser. And the emotions are a lot grosser. But the thinking, it's just going on all the time. So it's very easy to just all of a sudden get caught in a train. So by turning our attention to the thinking itself, that actually takes a lot of the attention away from the pain. But if you're not very good at it, you know, if you, you, if you really haven't trained that part of your mind, you know, you're, 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 you know the pain is still going to be the main magnet. Okay, so it doesn't, but it may not be the appropriate thing to do on a general basis, but it's a very good training. Okay, so that's what we're doing right now is, is I, I'd like everybody, it would be really helpful. You can spend some, you know, that's why I did a short meditation. You know, it's, it's, we did just 15 minutes because it's a difficult meditation. How many of you found that more difficult than others to actually keep noticing thoughts? So a lot of you? Yeah, for some people, for some people, emotions are a mystery, you know, and for other people, thinking it is harder. But um, so because we're constantly thinking, so so it's just turning our attention to that to that piece of it. So I hope that helps a little bit, you know. Work with it a little bit more, and then it'll become you know a little bit easier to. Um, if I understand you, you're saying that we turn our attention to the thoughts. We, right. I mean, but we let them go. But we, right. Okay, because the so thought not, doesn't last very long, right? We're not trying to particularly empty. No. The, you don't try. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So you just notice. You just notice. If the thought arises, like, boy, that really hurts. That's the thought. Okay, next thought. You know, they don't stay long. It may be that the same thought will come up again. You know, boy, that really hurts. Boy, that really hurts. Boy, that really, you know, maybe that's, that's going to happen over and over. But usually another thought will come in soon. And, and you know, maybe, boy, I don't like that. <laughs> you know? So it may all be thoughts about the situation. And you can say, oh, that's a judgment. Yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I don't want that to be there. You know, that. So, so you just keep noticing it. And, and, you know, it's definitely a skill because, uh, you know, right when you're used to pain being the number one thing you notice, you know, the thoughts are, are kind of way out there. But so what we're doing is we're giving the thoughts a lot more prominence and letting the pain be a little bit more in the background for now. So, again, it's, it's a kind of, um, you know, a skill that you'll learn to do more back and forth with a lot more fluidity eventually. I found that um, what I thought was hate in terms of feeling of a pain was actually a thought. It was, I hate this. Mm-hmm. So it was actually hard to separate the pain from the hate of a pain from the thought, the hateful thought about the pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if I hadn't focused, like you said, on the thoughts themselves, I would have labeled that as a feeling, mm-hmm. but not as a judgment or a thought. Yeah. So feelings are, are very complex, and they often include thoughts. So a feeling is a big emotional complex. So yeah, so you're probably feeling some hatred, and you had a thought of hatred. So in this exercise, you're focusing more on the thought itself. So recognizing that that thought is there. 
sometimes it can be very, sometimes uh, we may not notice we hate the pain until we notice the thought. So it's, it can be very helpful that way. So there's several things that happened for me the, in the, maybe like the first third. And I don't know if I'm mixing uh, techniques, but I noticed that on top of looking at the, the thoughts, I started to label. So like I heard sounds, and then so I started to say hearing. Um, is that mixing, or is that okay to, you know, it's, for this exercise? It's mixing, but that's Okay. That's okay. You know, it's, you're, you're noticing what, what, what's, uh, you know, that's mindfulness of the body, hearing. But that's mm-hmm. okay, you know. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you add a little bit of this. You don't, it, you, you're not trying to uh, get it just right. It's just a matter of making sure you notice your thoughts. Okay. As long as the main focus, I mean, if I'm doing this and I have pain, I'll notice my pain. I'm not going to only stay on my thoughts. You know, and, oh, yeah, pain, yeah, but okay, but back to my thoughts. Mm-hmm. So... The other thing was that it was very useful to think of the difference between thinking and images mm-hmm. because I noticed that about 80% of the time I actually have images with the thinking. And I wasn't, hadn't even noticed that before. Great. So that was a, a, a neat discovery for, for me. And, and then pain came and kind of took over a bit. <laughs> Okay, go, she'll go first. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Oh, good. Uh, the thoughts with uh, a lot of emotion, with a hurtful emotion, and uh, so it, I experienced then this morning uh, while I'm doing the meditation, and so it was a so strong emotion. So I went into the rain technique. Right. Is, is that I went into the body, you know, uh, that, uh, and when I went into body, it didn't do anything. I mean, it's nothing there much. Uh, so that, that was the moment that I was, I said, uh, can I just let it go, the idea, the thought, or thought and emotion, or should I go uh, take care of it, investigate? So I did that investigation while I'm doing the meditation of the uh, uh, global, global uh, intensity. Yeah, local intensity, global spread. Yeah. Yes, that yeah. that's. Is it okay to do that? It it was so strong. Yes. Emotion. Yeah. In fact, no matter what technique you're using, mm. if you get a very very strong emotion, mm-hmm. you know. It's saying, pay attention to me. You know, you, you, you don't force it away. You know, if it's really strong, pay attention to it, regardless of the technique you're doing. So investigation. Yeah, and then, yeah. Just, and then go back. Yeah, and then go back, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, we want to be flexible with these techniques. You know, you primarily, do, like, like if I was even doing loving-kindness meditation, and all of a sudden, you know, some memory came up of, of terrible sadness or something. You know, I'm not going to force myself, may I be happy, may I be peaceful. You know, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll pay attention to this until it's gone and then go back to it. Yeah, so we can be flexible with this. Thank you. Jack? Yeah, I uh, the pain is always there, but I'm not attached to it. I let it, you know, I'm aware of it. 
and I'm feeling a great quiet. You know, so I feel like I'm looking at the quiet. Great. And, um, and, and I guess I'm looking for the feeling with it too, but there's nothing there. It's just kind of, and it's uh, almost, almost blank. You know, it's not uh, pleasant, it's not unpleasant, it's just there. You know, um, kind of a spaciousness, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I guess that I question it a little bit. There's a little bit of questioning or maybe judging. You know, maybe there should be something there. Um, you know, not just accepting. So right. doubt. It's called doubt, right? Doubt. doubt. Yeah. A little doubt. Yeah. yeah. You know, and uh, actually it's rather pleasant. Yeah. Good. And it's boring, you know. It's not... Exciting, like when. Ah, uh, uh, okay. So that's this. That's a really important uh, difference there. I don't there. really feel that, you know, but it's it's somehow it's in there. So you don't feel it's boring. Well, well, there's obviously a germ of it there. You yeah, know. yeah. I see. This is different. Yeah. So, so the qu the the thing is, when boredom arises, what is boredom? What is, what? Well, there's something we don't like about what's happening. You know, there, there is a lack of interest, right? A lack of interest, you know, so what is it that you, you're, you don't want to pay attention to? Well, is, it, is it unfamiliar? You know, some, it's different? You, ha you have to explore it in the moment. Everybody at some point in their minute, I don't think anybody doesn't have boredom at some point, right? And, you know, where, where it just isn't exciting enough, or it just isn't... So what is it about it, the lack of excitement? There's something there we actually don't like. So what is that? Can we turn our attention to that little bit of that little bit of feeling of boredom? There's some kind of spark that goes, you know, with tension and with all of these pulls in our life, and yeah. then when it's gone... Yeah, yeah, and so sometimes that is what that is. We're used to, you know, thriving on excitement, you know, uh, on something happening. And we're not, you know, all that comfortable in, in calm. So, so just, you know, keep t turn attention to that a little bit. Because you said mostly feels pleasant, but you're not quite sure some of it's pleasant. There's something that might not be a little bit pleasant. So focus on that a little bit. You know, what is that like? What is that really like? Yeah, remember, we're, we're meditating to find out what's there, not to make something happen. So what is it that's there? What is it there that feels a little bit boring? What is that? Um, yes. So, um, the, uh, the green? So, um, I've meditated for a while, and, and I think I've uh, always just lumped all thoughts together and just sort of observed whatever my mind happens to be doing. So this idea of sort of, you know, labeling things and separating things out is kind of interesting. I noticed, like someone also said, it was easy to do, which I'd never noticed before, it was easy, easy to do with the images. And um, it's true, there were just these images that popped up and I never thought about it that way, but it's kind of interesting. Where I have trouble, and someone else had mentioned this as well, 
where I find it difficult is um, with, uh, you know, the emotions coming in and, you know, saying, I hate this. Is that an emotion or is it a judgment, <laughs> you know? Um, and so I guess I'm, or is it a feeling? So I guess I'm just thinking of, and maybe it doesn't really make that much difference, you know, how we label these things, but is there a way of labeling these thoughts slash feelings slash emotions yeah. of grouping all of these things in ways that we can label them that make sense? There's no right way to label, okay? But, so if you hear words in your mind like, I hate this, that's thinking. Those are, that's judgment, right? That's, that is a thought. And it's an important part of the emotional component. And so when we start really uh, exp- getting to know our emotions, like for instance, if you are really hating your pain, right? There's a physical emotion. Like when you hate your pain, you, f- you might feel it in your gut. You feel it somewhere in the body. And there's kind of a mental flavor to hatred. You know, that, like you, you, re- you all recognize hatred in your mind, right? There's like this little emotional type of feeling. And there's the thoughts. So every emotion has all those components. Right now we're focusing on the component of thought because often we get hooked into emotions and don't realize the thoughts that are feeding the emotion. Like, God, I hate this. This is terrible. This is da-da-da-da-da. And it just keeps feeding the emotion. So the emotion, you just stay there in resistance to it. So, so it's very helpful to just focus on the thinking until you're good at it. That's, that's the key. It's, it's not that that's how you, you know, when you're actually integrating the practice fully, you know, you notice the emotion, and sometimes it liberates itself by, by paying a little of attention. Sometimes, like she said, you have to really pay a lot of attention, you know, how is it in the body? Okay, how is it in the uh, the feel of it? And what thoughts are there? And, and you know, it's a lot more complex. It's a lot deeper, so you have to look a lot further. So all we're doing with this uh, practice, and I think it's a really good practice to do for a period of time until you develop an ease of really seeing the thoughts that pop up in the mind. So does that help? Okay. Anything else with, uh, in relation to what we just did? Um, so what I'd like to do next is we want to work on loving-kindness practice a little bit. Okay? And uh, how many of you have never done loving-kindness practice before? Oh, everybody has to some. Oh, great. Not formally. Okay. Okay. Okay, so... Um, the way we train the mind, there's two ways we train the mind. We train the mind by letting go of what's unhelpful or by cultivating the helpful. Loving-kindness practice is a way of cultivating certain attitudes in our mind. Um, what, we're looking, what we're looking to is um, cultivating a friendliness, a well-wishing. Um, in a way, um, the word metta actually means friendliness. And the way I think of it is, is the way, you know, most of us have a very loving attitude maybe to a child, you know, or child in our life. And so treating ourselves as we might a very young baby who needs our care and love and nurturing. Often when we have pain, that's not what our mind is doing. 
right? So, so this is what we're working with. You know, the loving kindness practice is a very rich practice that's often practiced with with um, insight, um, and we're only going to work on one piece of it, the piece that I think is, is uh, that I found is really helpful for working with pain. And so traditionally, the loving kindness practice is done first towards yourself, then towards a mentor, then towards your friends and family, um, towards a stranger, uh, and then towards your so-called enemy. You know, uh, so you're learning to open the heart in progressively more challenging ways, and then eventually to the whole world. You know, it's a very beautiful practice done that way. What we're going to do, though, is just only use, do the first piece of it, doing it towards ourselves. And we have to love ourselves before we can love the world. Um, and so one of the ways, one of the things that's important to think about, a lot of people think... Um, I mean, I thought, you know, when I first did Metta for the first time, I thought, this feels kind of phony, little mushy, um, you know, what was the word I, I used? Syrupy. That was the word I used, syrupy. And, uh, and I was kind of uncomfortable doing it. And, um, but what I learned is that really, I'm not trying to generate, when I do loving kindness towards myself, I'm not trying to make myself feel anything. I'm just wishing myself well. And that's, that's a very, that has a lot of ease. You know, being friendly towards myself doesn't feel phony. You know, it feels okay. It feels, oh yeah, I can be friendly. I can be kind to myself. Yeah, that feels okay. So as we, we're going to use some phrase, the phrases, um, I'm, which I'm going to suggest some, but feel free to use your own. And, but the attitude is, is we're s- establishing a seed. Let's say you're not in a good space. Let's say you're feeling like really um, kind of dark, you know, and you decide you're going to do mind- loving kindness practice towards yourself. You know, it doesn't matter what you feel. You know, if you're feeling, no matter how dark you feel, you still want to feel better, right? So that's okay. You can say, you know, oh, may I be happy. You know, that's okay. You don't have to feel it. It sets, establishes a seed. It's like it, it you know, the fruits might come up any time. Don't worry about it. All you're doing is wishing yourself well over and over. If your child is crying, oh, I hope you're happy. You know, that's it. Just a very simple, non-demanding way of doing this. Um, one of the other things about... Uh, so basically the practice, that for those of you who haven't done it, is we're going to repeat four, three to four phrases over and over and over again. And you focus on the meaning of the phrase. And um, that's basically the core of the practice. And I'm going to suggest some phrases. If you already have your own, feel free to do your own. Um, and when we're done, you know, when you go home, if, this, if it's new to you, feel free to adapt the phrases. You know? People get charged on different words. Somebody just um, last week told me they hate the word relax. You know, it just reminds them of, you know, laying, being absolutely lazy. You know, and so every time, you know, uh, you hear the word relax in a meditation, it's not necessarily the best word to use. So pick your own, you know, if the words don't work, find something that's close. Um, one interesting thing about metta is that loving kindness practices is, is actually focusing away from the pain. And so it's an interesting practice with pain because of that, because you can get so absorbed with, uh, with the words and the thinking that the pain, uh, you know, you're just away from the pain. 
so it has two aspects. You know, of the first aspect is it's a very concentrating practice because you're just staying in one subject over and over and over again. And so it will calm the mind. When the mind is calm, it reduces pain. So that's one very strong benefit. The other aspect is that um, as you say the words, it begins to change your attitude towards yourself. So it can be a very helpful, uh, you know, over a period of time, it sets the seeds for treating ourselves better. And uh, one of the other ways, and and I'll guide you in this um, when we do the guided meditation, is that... um, I will use loving kindness towards my area of injury. I don't do it at the beginning of the meditation. I wait till I get a little more settled. But so, so for instance, the phrases we're going to use are, may I be happy, may I be peaceful, may I be well, may I feel safe, you know, may I be at ease. So phrases like that, okay? So you might be saying that over and over and over. And, and let's say, you know, my ankle starts throbbing really terribly, you know. So I'll just go to my ankle, you know, breathe, just bring all my focus to my ankle and treat it like that's my aching child, my hurting child. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. And that often, um, you know, it maintains the concentration, so it maintains the calm, but it also creates a more accepting attitude towards the area of injury, which we're often kind of not, you know, uh, resisting. Um, So before we start the guided... um, uh, meta practice. We're just going to do like uh, 10 minutes of it. Um, do you have any questions about it? Okay. So we'll have time after to ask. Um, so go ahead and uh, get in a comfortable position. Enos, I have one question. Um, I I usually do um, meta as soon as I get conscious wake, wakes me up, and I do that. And then uh, meditation, uh, I will do it after, you know, taking care of some things mm-hmm. in the morning. Would it be okay, separate it? Separate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can do meta any time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I've done it... Um, you know, just sitting in the car waiting for, you know, for, for the light to change. I might do, you know, so metta, there's no wrong time to do metta. So. Um, so close your eyes. And in, in this particular practice, it's even more important to be as comfortable as you can be. And take a few deep breaths. Relaxing just a little more with each exhale. So mentally repeat, slowly and steadily, the following phrases. 
May I be happy. May I be peaceful. May I feel safe. May I be at ease. May I be happy. May I be peaceful. May I feel safe. May I be at ease. May I be happy. You can do them at your own pace. May I be peaceful. May I feel safe. May I be at ease. Some people find it helpful to involve more of their senses when they say the phrases. If it's helpful for you, please do it. If not, don't, uh, just let it be. Just the phrases are enough. For instance, if you say, may I be happy, you can also visualize a smile or actually feel from the inside the corner of your lips in a slight smile. So you're hearing, you're seeing, and you're feeling. May I be happy? Or may I be peaceful? You might feel the relaxation of your forehead and maybe visualize a peaceful face. For some people, it can be very helpful to stay concentrated. For other people, it's too busy. So find your way. May I be happy. May I be peaceful. May I feel safe. May I be at ease.
If you have any significant pain right now, feel free to bring your attention towards the area of pain. Allow yourself to briefly notice the sensations of the pain and open to them. And then continue with the metta, with the loving kindness. You can switch to, may you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be at ease. So any questions about the uh, loving-kindness practice? I was going to make one comment that I found very interesting. When we first started, 
I was interpreting those a bit as questions. You know, may I be happy? And I kept sort of answering them, and that was like, mm, I don't know. And then, uh, may I feel safe? And it was like, mm, boy, I don't think so. <laughs> and um, so I switched it to just say, I, I would like to be happy. I would like to be safe. I want these things for myself. Or, you know, like you were saying, in the spirit of wishing myself well. And I found that to be much more soothing than um, sort of having these as questions. Like, like Mother, may I? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh. Great. Yeah, we, we, we are all so funny with language. You know, we yeah. definitely, definitely, um, that's, that's great. That's a great example. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about perception. And we tend to think that, you know, how we look inside ourselves and how, how we feel is a fixed thing. And that our perceptions are true. The way we perceive the world around us is true. And I wanted to bring up um, a study that was done quite a while ago with college students where they took half the students um, wore, were put on heavy backpacks and the other half didn't have anything on. And they basically just looked at a, a, hill, a hill that was at an incline. And they asked them to estimate what percentage of an incline it had, whether it's like 10%, 15%, 20%. The students with the heavy backpacks estimated it much higher than the students without it, just because they had more discomfort in their bodies. You know, it's not that they said, oh, it's going to be harder to climb, but just what the percentage was. They did the same test. They had a different set of students stand on um, a skateboard, so half were standing on a skateboard, balancing on a skateboard, and the other half just normally. Again, the ones that are on the skateboard, who, which brought up a little bit of fear that they're going to fall, they also estimated much higher. So the way we perceive our pain is definitely affected you know, by, by what our mind thinks is happening. Um, uh, you're all familiar with placebos, right? Placebos are... Nothing pills that make us believe that we got something, right? That, uh, that something's happening. Well, they work in reducing pain 40% of the time. Um, there's a tense tendency for people to believe that somehow we've been duped and we're sort of stupid for that placebo worked on us. But really, if a placebo works on us, boy, what a wonderful mind we have. Think about the power of that mind. Uh, you know, we have um, in our nervous system, we have um, opiates, you know, they're drugs, just like heroin, morphine, opium. We have those chemicals in our brain. And they found that with a placebo, you can actually measure chemically the release of these very powerful opiates. So um, even the shape of a tablet uh, we respond to differently. They found that um, transparent tablets with colored beads work better than white ones. Um, and and, though, and that, those work better than tablets. So, so plastic ones, you know, that are white work better than white tablets. Still. 
So um, another study, they told a group of people that these are pain pills cost $2.50 apiece. They're expensive pain pills. And they gave um, you know, another set that said these are like uh, a penny apiece. And the ones for two fifty worked a lot better. <laughs> but none of them had anything in them. Um, you know, the context of pain is very significant. For instance, the same minor injury uh, on the hand of a violinist actually hurts more than on the hand of a dancer. So the context that, that we experience pain has a big effect. Um, they found that um, women who had mastectomies uh, for cancer, um, if they had pain, and if they attributed the pain to the cancer or they attributed the pain to something else, the ones who attributed the pain to the cancer had a lot more pain, regardless of, of what was happening. So depending what you attribute the pain to, the pain increases. So if you think you're more injured, you'll have more pain. Um, uh, there was one, oh yeah, this one I like. Um, they put a bunch of volunteers, they put, the, they put their heads in this device, and they told them, we're going to be running electricity through it. You know, we'll let you know what level you're at, and you tell me how much you, know, how much you feel it, how, this, how uncomfortable it is. And, you know, so they dial it up to five, they go, okay, oh, I feel a little bit, you know, ten, oh, that's getting a little strong, fifteen, completely sham devices. Most of the group... In, uh, experience discomfort with this sham device. Uh, the mind's a very powerful thing. So we're training ourselves to, you know, if we can be going those directions so easily, we can also just as easily train our minds to help ourselves. Um, you know, the stress, um, pain, causes stress, right? Stress causes chemicals in your body to increase the pain. Managing stress reduces pain, okay? So stress, the stress response has three aspects. It, it's the physical, the emotional, and the mental. Okay, those are the three areas. It doesn't matter where you play with it. Where you relax the stress, it affects the entire stress response. So we've been focusing each week, you know, we started with, with paying a lot of attention to the body, um, and then to the emotions last week, and today a little bit more on our thoughts and our attitudes. It doesn't really matter where you relax yourself. It affects the whole thing. Um, So I wanted to mention, before I talk about integration, um, uh, a couple of uh, non-meditation suggestions. And um, one of the things um, uh, that I'd like to suggest, and may maybe some of you already do this, is helping others. Um, they found that um, there's a number of studies that were done that patients with chronic pain who helped counsel other patients with pain uh, actually had a lot less pain. Their pain decreased. Um, they found that um, elderly people uh, who, I don't know how they 
what age they call elderly these days, but uh, who volunteer four hours a week actually live longer than people who didn't. Um, so giving, taking care of others, it, you know, it's another way of focusing away from pain. Um, but there's other aspects to it, you know, that, you know, maybe we don't understand all of it, but, but um, you know, consider that sometimes, uh, there's actually a book that was, um, I think it's a recent book called 29 Gifts. Did anybody hear of that book? That 29 Gifts. I'm, I'm not recommending it because I haven't read it, okay? Uh, but, but I've read about it, okay? And basically, there's a woman, a young woman with uh, multiple sclerosis um, whose life had just fallen apart because of the multiple sclerosis, lost her job. You know, she went blind in one eye. She had trouble walking and all this very sudden, you know? And uh, she'd been suffering with this for a while. And um, her counselor told her... Um, uh, to give 29 gifts in 29 days. And so, you know, she was mostly bedridden. She was having such a hard time. And so she said, how can I give 29 gifts? I'm laying here in bed. And so, you know, she said, it doesn't matter what you give. Just, just start looking for ways to give. And so she very, very slowly started, you know, uh, a friend was over and she was crying. She gave her a Kleenex. <laughs> um, she got the energy up to make a dinner for her husband, you know. And then just slowly over the month, she just started noticing um, because she was always looking for, well, how can I give instead of, you know, how miserable I am. <laughs> and at the end of the 29 days, her life was pretty transformed. And that's, I guess, what her book is, is, is her experience of doing that. Um, so, um, so, so then the, the next, uh, non-meditative suggestion I want to make, and, and this is, um, is music. Um, they found that, um, they took 60 patients who had continuous pain, either, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, osteoarthritis, or disc problems. So these are patients whose pain never went away. And they were... Uh, they, they broke the, uh, the groups into three groups. One group listened to an hour of whatever music they wanted to every day. The other group listened to relaxation music. And the third group didn't do anything. And they found that uh, both groups that listened to music, either what you liked or it didn't make any difference, um, their pain and depression levels decreased 15 to 20% just by listening to music for one hour a day. So that was like a, you know, so if it's not something you do in your life and, and it feels right, I actually like to incorporate sometimes music with movement because, you know, I'm, you know I'm, I, my life tends to go into the sedentary side. So I try to get up and move frequently during the day. And that's a great thing to do. You just put on a little bit of music and move around, you know, dance around a little bit. Regardless of your disability, you know, you can still, you know, I mean, you know, you can even, even a chair, you can all sway to a rhythm, right? So move with it. And the third thing is laughter. So, um, you know, if you're going to watch a movie, you know, your choice is between um, a horror movie or a comedy, go for the comedy. So, um, so I want to talk a little bit about the integration, okay? And, and it's hard to say something really... Um, you know, we're all in different places in our, in our lives in, in, and in our meditation experience. So what I'm going to say is going to be a little bit general, and you might want to adapt it to your own needs. Um, 
But the very basic way that mindfulness practice is, practice is done is we focus on the breath, and then if any other experience comes up that's very strong and compelling, we turn our attention to it. When it's no longer compelling, we come back to the breath. Now that experience is going to be either physical, might be pain, emotional, or thoughts. That's basically what's the, the things that come up. Um, and so what we've done in, in the different meditations we've practiced is we've focused on each of those areas in a little bit different way. Um, now, when we have pain, um, it's, sometimes it's very hard to develop those three different areas because the pain dominates a lot of our experience. So what I recommend that you do is that you take a month and practice with one of the techniques. So that, uh, for instance, you know, I had you last week, I had you just do like one of them. Um, so what, what it might look like is this. Let's say you meditate for half an hour every morning. The first 10 minutes or so, you do mindfulness of breathing. The next 20 minutes, you might do um, mindfulness of emotions. Or you might do uh, one of the, you know, loving kindness practice. So choose, um, you know, I'll give you a handout that will have all of them in one page. And you can see which ones you feel you, you connect with, that you need right now in your life. After you do it for a month, then pick another one. And what you're doing is you're developing those skills so that, um, you know, when you've really worked with them for a long time, they become... Um, you know, you, you go back to the main practice of just focusing on the breath and anything that comes up, but you'll be much more able to see those little details. And, um, and, but they also become part of your toolbox. Like, for instance, you know, um, I might spend, you know, um, I might be overall just doing a, a very basic mindfulness practice day after day after day, but all of a sudden one day I have excruciating pain and I'm, have, and I'm really tired and I'm having a hard time dealing with it. At that point, I'll look into my toolbox and I'll probably do um, uh, you know, free-floating in the discomfort you know, and really focus on that, that going to the pain and just kind of you know, a moment here, a moment there, a moment there. Just moving around the pain so that I'm, I'm looking at the pain in little bite-sized pieces. Um, or at another time, I may, might feel like my, my um, you know, I'm feeling a little bit depressed over the pain. And so I might choose to do loving kindness that day. Um, so it be, they become tools that you can use at different times. But they only become really useful tools if you get good at them. So I recommend you practice with them. You know, pick one, one or two. If you're sitting twice a day, pick two practices. If you're sitting once a day, pick one. Um, I can't emphasize enough, if you've got really severe pain, please meditate twice a day. I think it's really worthwhile. Um, if, if, you're, if you're meditating and you have really severe pain, you still suggest we start off with mindfulness breathing for a month? For the first 10 minutes. Oh, oh, and then go to whatever is most helpful to you. Right, 
Right. Yeah. Just it takes a you know it takes ten minutes to settle in, get fam- get get familiar with your breath, and then go open to the other practice. But do you, are you saying though that the golden spread, for instance, or something for the extreme pain is something you don't necessarily want to go to uh, as much as a loving kindness? No, no. It's no. What I'm saying is that different. You know, for me. We all have different characters, you know. And uh, for instance, honestly, for me, I've almost never used the global spread practice for myself. And yet I know someone else that's like the primary practice they use for pain. Um, You know, I've used a lot of the floating in the discomfort. I've used a lot of the loving kindness, definitely the emotions, you know. So, so, um, you know, so if there's a practice that just feels hard, at least try it for a while to see if if it's helpful. Just because it's hard doesn't mean you, it's not it's not um, helpful. So, um, so um, I want to say uh, just a couple more things. Um, during the day, you know, we went over the eight breath meditation, right? And uh, where you just take one minute a number of times of the day, and you, um, with each breath, you relax a different part of the body. There's even a shorter version of that. And I, I came up with an acronym, um, B-R-O, like bro, you know, like, uh, you know, the way you te- treat your brother, right? You know, so it's a very friendly attitude. And it stands for breathe, relax, open. If you do that, it's one breath, you know, you breathe, relax, and open to life as it is right now. And... Um, and if you can bring that into your life over and over and over again, it's a really helpful practice. Um, you know, sometimes these little acronyms for me, you know, are, are easier to remember than, um, than being mindful sometimes, you know. So they're like these little, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, you know. So, uh, so encourage you, you know, or, be, or make up your own. You know, these are always good things to do, the eight breath meditation, the, the bro, <laughs> um, you know, during your waiting times. Um, so the one last thing, you know, um, I, cons- I put the handout, I put all the different meditations in it, and um, there's a link to the website where the recordings of these talks are. And in about two weeks, I'll also have the guided meditations there that they'll be all by themselves, so you can, if you want to use those. Um, I didn't teach one practice that I actually value, because it takes a while to get into it, and that's like a full body scan. In mindfulness-based stress reduction, there's a practice of, um, you know, it's usually done laying down, where you systematically become aware of your body, starting with your toes, one spot at a time, all the way to the top of the head. And it's a really wonderful, relaxing practice. A lot of people do it as a second meditation right before bed. It can help you sleep better, um, and it's a great practice. Some people fall asleep in the middle of it, but that's fine too. Um, and I will give you a link to, you know, there will be a guided meditation you can do with that. So I did want to mention that. And um, then the other practice I mentioned instruction on, which I didn't teach here, is walking meditation. And for some people, uh, because of their conditions, it can be really helpful to alternate between walking meditation and sitting meditation. Um, and I'm, you know, I realize as I've talked about this, that there, there, there are, you know, 
we probably could have used one more week of going into these different um, practices. But uh, but you know, walking meditation is something we do at the center on a you know on a periodic basis. So there's an opportunity to learn that. Um, but the instructions are there; they're easy to follow. Um, and let's see. Um, and in the reading recommendations, the primary people that, that have been an influence to me, I just want to uh, reiterate, are Shinzen Young and Darlene Cohen. And, um, you know, I put references there in the handout. And um, so, so that was it for, uh, that's all we had for tonight. And well, I guess we run over a little bit. And I just want to just remind everybody that um, our center, um, everything we do at our center is offered freely. Um, and our teachers and our center are supported by donations. Uh, so if you'd like to offer a donation, there's um, a box, on the, the donation box is on the way out by the door, and there's two slots, one for the teacher and one for the center. So your donations are always welcome. And um, I hope this class has been helpful to you, and I wish you all well. Thank you.